Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. Let us pray. We pause. We invite attention to this moment, to this time, to this place. <clears throat> that in our attention we daydream and we wonder. And you are present to us in that. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God. Amen. Today marks the beginning of, over the next two months, Andrea and I and whoever happens to be at this pulpit will move through a series called uh, Plowing Through the Proverbs. Plowing Through the Proverbs. I gotta say, I was more keen on playing with Proverbs, but whatever you choose, whether it's plowing or praying or playing or powering, I don't know, I just want you to know that over the next two months we'll be looking at a book in the Bible called Proverbs, and they're a collection of what I call like Chinese fortune cookies. You know, if you're at that restaurant, they don't know if they still do it. You break it open, there's a little phrase. That's a proverb, and it's part of our scripture. It's a wisdom section of our Bible that they are housed. What's so delightful in this is that they were written by a person supposedly called Solomon, and he was the son of King David, and King David is in your uh, windows at the back. You might know of David. He's the one we heard a sermon about. He's the one that uh, used a small pebble and a slingshot and killed Goliath. He's the one who had wandering eyes, well, actually a whole wandering body, because he ended up with Bathsheba, another man's wife. And then there's David the shepherd, who apparently wrote one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 23. Here's a very real person, David, in our scriptures. And it's his son, Solomon, who becomes king at 12 years old. Now, Charlotte, my daughter's 12. I'm having a hard time imagining her being queen at 12. For one, she's, for one, she's still asleep right now. But apparently Solomon was born in 848, and he ruled for 40 years. And during that time, the nation was the wisest and most peaceful of all time. And Solomon, in his wisdom, wrote 33,000 parables and 105 poems or proverbs. And so these proverbs are what we're going to explore over this next while. And so the book of, Psalm, uh, of, of Proverbs begins this way. So it's telling us what we're going to do here. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right, just, and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise, the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction. I'm not sure if fear is like shaking in your boots or fear is awe, but there's a sense of openness and awe to this beauty called the Proverbs. I'm not gonna go through them all. I'm gonna invite you to find them. If you go to the middle of your Bible and put your finger in, the Psalms will be there. Just next to that will be the Proverbs. And here's some of them. Make no friends with those given to anger and do not associate with hotheads. Isn't that great? 
2,500 years of wisdom. Make no friends with those given to anger and do not associate with hotheads or you may learn their ways and entangle yourself in their snare. Wine is a mocker and a strong drink a brawler. Whoever is led astray is not wise. Do not love sleep or else you'll become to poverty. Open your eyes and you'll have plenty of bread. The glory of youth is their strength. The beauty of the aged is their gray hair, Doug. I think that should be the quote for elderhood. The glory of youth is their strength. The beauty of the ages is their gray hair. Mine's turning blonde. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a full house of strife. A wise child makes a glad father, a foolish child a mother's grief. Anybody attest to that? Or as you heard Anne say, without a vision, the people perish. There's these pithy little phrases that are part of your scriptures that are invitations for you to reflect on, to wonder about, to scribble about, to draw. But I need you to know that wisdom is more than intelligence, knowledge, or facts. Wisdom is more than Google. Wisdom is more synthesis than analysis, more paradoxical than linear more of a dance than a march. And in order to grow in wisdom, we need to move beyond the cerebral, rational knowing. You see, wisdom is not knowing more, but knowing with more of you. Knowing deeper. I'll say that again. This is Cynthia Bourgeau. Wisdom is not knowing more, but knowing with more of you. Knowing deeper. And if you go look at her seven ideas under wisdom, she said it's not about the brain, it's about all of our body. And we're coming into this sense of how important our body speaks and how wisdom comes in body, mind, and spirit. It's about knowing. And that's why Psalm 139, Oh God, you search me and you know me, is a beautiful image to think of your heart beating with the Creator. And God knows you already before a word is on your lips. It's that kind of knowing. But how does this relate to Canada, you're wondering? You thought you might be talking about Canada this day. I'm gonna talk about Canada and the church and ourselves all in one brief sermon. I think they're connected because I believe one of the things we need more when I think about Canada is wisdom. We need to learn to say we're sorry, yes, and then what? How do we develop relationships with each other and with creation? I believe it begins with wisdom. You can read many of the papers or news stories about Canada Day and what's important to us. But from my perspective, what I think we're after is wisdom. I certainly hear and see this when I hear our political leaders speaking. There seems to be a lack of wisdom, a lack of storytelling, a lack of question and curiosity. I believe what we desire is a deep call to wisdom. And I think wisdom, like the Proverbs, is what we're after. You see, the story of wisdom reminds us that it's not about me, but it's about we. And in fact, if you go to the final judgment passage that Jesus has in Matthew's Gospel, the image is this, the king gathers all the nations of the world together. Salvation is about the nations coming together. And so it says this, how do we do as a nation 
in our confederation and this world? How will Canada be seen as a leader in wisdom stepping forward? I think wisdom is so important, not just in nationalism, but also in our understanding of church. So I have three C's if you're wanting to know where we're at and how long this sermon's gonna be. The three C's that I think are so important for our country, for our church, and our individuals. The first is curiosity. I believe we're starved. We are deeply hungry and we need to be curious. And I love that word curious because it invites us to think that there's more. There's always something else to consider. When I meet with couples who are getting married, I ask them to share what they love about their partner. And one of the most important conversations I've had in all the weddings I've done is a conversation where a couple shared this. I said, what do you love about each other? There was silence. And she said, Joel, what I love about Joel is his curiosity. I said, curiosity? What do you mean? She said, do you know what he does for a living? And I said, no. He said, well, what he does is he builds satellites and the satellites circle the globe and they spy on pirate ships in Southeast Asia. And they tell people that pirates are coming and it helps bring safety and security. And I'm like totally baffled. I say, how big is the satellite? And she carries on, it's the size of a school bus. So sometimes at night I'm looking for that school bus going around and around. But anyway, she talks about it then. Then he says, well, what, a, what I love about Anne is this, she's the most curious person ever. I said, what do you mean? When we go to Safeway, it is like a two hour journey because we go down aisle after aisle and if she sees someone, she stops and have a conversation about the food or what they're gonna buy or what they're wearing. And in that conversation, she's so curious about people. At the end of that conversation, I said to them, I believe your marriage is gonna be great because you two are curious about the world and about each other. I think relationships that have at their core a curiosity are so amazing because they're alive. They're about something else, being ever more curious. So you see, curiosity is such an important thing in individuals. On my sabbatical, I read a book called The Good Life that looks at curiosity and why it's so important. And it says this, the curiosity, real deep curiosity about what others are experiencing goes a long way in our important relationships. Has anybody ever been curious about you? Have you been curious with them about why they did what they did, like I spoke of Sam last week? I have to admit this, when I was in uh, Palm Springs on my sabbatical this past year for a couple of weeks, and I gotta say this and don't shoot me for it, but I was struck at the lack of curiosity of many people. Now, I don't know if I entered the room and they knew what I did and they thought I was a minister so they, I'm like a skunk at a garden party. I don't know if it's that. <laughs> but even with strangers, I was struck by a lack of curiosity about what's going on in the world. I'm not saying they're all like that. There's lots of Canadians like that. My point is this. Do you have a relationship with anyone who's curious with you or observes the world with curiosity? Because I think being curious is essential as an individual. And I think it's also essential as a church. Often I've wondered if we should have a value of curiosity to invite us to look at the world 
and look at ourselves and look at scripture and look at God with curiosity, what might unfold. There's a crucial point in this book, Good Life. It says the crucial point is that curiosity helps us connect to others and this connection makes a more engaged life, which leads me to the second C, which is connection. I think we are living in a time of very much isolation where loneliness is an epidemic. People are alone and afraid and feeling like they're still stuck in the pandemic's hold where they feel even though we're back out in the world, they are lonelier ever more so. The Globe and Mail reminded me yesterday in an article about not having purple. They were saying we got a lot of red and a lot of blue in our politics, but they're not mixed together in what they call purple because a lot of our politics and our world is calling us to division of yelling and tweeting and posting, separating us one from the other. And what we deeply need is the connection of purple. I had an email from a congregant this week that I want to read, Alan Frank, he's in our midst, when he was reflecting on the sermon last week because it's all about our church and connection. He says, and I have permission, this call, this something inside of me keeps coming up and it was your sharing in your sermon last week that resonated with me. What would it be like to have the facility, I'm talking about Second Campus, where people could come together in conversation? Not easy conversations, but tough conversations. I see the hate and anger and confusion that seems to be rampant, and I know underlying it is a fear and anger at not being heard, and what results is rebellion. Just as you were talking about Sam, see sermon last week, what would it look like to have those conversations with others who are different than us? The contemplative ministry program helps those, me, have those conversations with myself and then with others. Yet I still fall into judgment outside the walls of myself and the church. So what do I do to step into those conversations with people that I judge, people I see hurting, people who are in fear? I see hate as an addiction. It feeds on something. Otherwise, we wouldn't hate. I see rage as an addiction, an unhealthy way of trying to get a need met. Self-righteousness is an addiction by lying and the need to control. An addiction comes in forms we often don't realize. The antidote is connection. Going below the iceberg into self-discovery and doing this with the power of community and with God. What if the second campus became a hub for reconciliation, for a reimagination, rediscovery, and recreation of ourselves and our relationship with others? An environment of safety in which to be brave, to listen to others, to have those tough conversations, to be seen for who we are, to be heard, to practice curiosity, to share our stories, and in that sharing, find our commonalities versus our differences, to see one another as a whole versus specific parts of ourselves. Anyway, this has all been in my head for some time, voices of such conversations, the presenting of perspectives, the challenging of ideas, and so I had to share it with you, and now with you. I, too, would like to sit down with Sam, signed Alan. 
I'm not going to put you on the spot, Alan, but this sounds like a person who needs to be on our committee for our second campus. Do you hear in that reflection, that call for connection? And we have many ways to serve the spiritual life in our community. And one of them needs to be about connecting, not just with people like me or us, but people who are different. And I believe good religion connects us opposites in a meaningful, deep conversation. Good religion isn't about memorizing commandments. It is about connection of ourself to the sacred and having that deep conversation. Connection happens only when we're intentional. What if our church became a center of connection? And finally, curiosity, connection. My last one had to be commitment. A few weeks ago in a sermon, I interviewed Deb Yedlin from the Chamber of Commerce and she said something that stuck. She talked about the sin of complacency as being one of the most important recognitions of the gift of the Ten Commandments. When I was at Princeton Theological Seminary a long time ago, I remember the professor coming in and standing before us saying, what do you make of the fact we can destroy the world with nuclear weapons? And a woman put up her hand and she said, I don't worry about it because Jesus will make another one. To which I was furious and dumbfounded. And I wrote an article in the Princeton um, student paper called The Sin of Apathy. And I believe that is so true, whether you call it the sin of complacency or the sin of apathy. It's about saying there has to be some commitment to work forward. The word sin is a churchy word. It's not about the bad things you did. The word sin is refusing to learn, but I'll say refusing to learn more. And so I think committed is such an important part because we are living in a scrolling world where we spend all of our time flipping through, poking in all these little worlds, but we never really go or land anywhere and put our feet down and say, I'm committed here. It means that we put our feet down on the ground, God's sacred body, and saying, I am in. I am showing up to transform the world. In the discipleship sermon a few weeks ago, I talked about my aversion to that word, but then as I learned to understand it, I came to learn that it begins with call. We're all called, not ministers. All of us are called. What is my calling? What am I going to do with this one wild and precious life that I have? We're all called. We're all called to be disciples, to learn, to study, body, mind, and spirit. And then we don't rest there. God kicks us out of the nest. And she says, now you're ready to fly. And we are sent out to transform the world grounded in love. And so my discomfort was eased when I realized it doesn't end there as a goal. But being a disciple is part of the journey. What if we developed a pathway as a church and the wisdom's ways of knowing, where commitment was invited and encouraged to answer your call, to learn, and then to be sent out to transform the world. And so you see curiosity, connection, and commitment, whether it's an individual or a nation or a church, I think are important ingredients to whole living. So for yourself, for your church, for your country, my t-shirt would say this, 
Be curious. Be connected. Be committed. Be. What would yours say? Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.